Hey, it's Kristen. This is Rational in Portland, where we say everything you can't say in Portland. Hi, welcome to Rational in Portland. I'm your host, Kristen. Today we have high-profile professional Jennifer, one of our favorite guests, who's the co-founder of the Portland Party, on with us again to talk about the Portland Nonprofit Industrial Complex, Oregon Health Authority Grants, the Portland Charter Proposal that will be on the ballot in November, and why you should vote no on that and more. You can find us at Rational and PDX on Twitter. And back in May, Jennifer, whose handle is at PDXMOT, M-O-T, on Twitter, and I asked for nonprofits you wanted us to look into. This episode dives into the questions and suggestions we received and more. Also back in May, I broke the news on Twitter that the Oregon Health Authority gave $450,000 to City Council candidate A.J. McCreary's nonprofit, Equitable Giving Circle, in the form of what it deemed a COVID-19 health equity grant. We'll explain this more in this episode, but one of the reasons this is outrageous is not only has there been no explanation as to how Equitable Giving Circle is tied to COVID. The Equitable Giving Circle does things like Zoom seminars about why paperwork is a gatekeeping tool of white supremacy. This episode is timely because Jennifer has been begging Shane Kavanaugh from the Oregonian to do reporting on the Oregon Health Authority's incredibly wasteful use of COVID funds. And you know what? Today he did. The audit summary that Shane Kavanaugh links to notes that the Coronavirus Relief Fund had the largest amount of questioned costs with $9 million in known and projected errors. The Oregon Health Authority and other agencies were not compliant, apparently, according to this summary, with ensuring the awards were used for authorized purposes, and they were not performing appropriate monitoring according to this summary. Let's move on to charter reform. As many of you know, Charter reform is going to be on the ballot in November. It would change the structure of Portland government. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Tell us why we should vote against the charter reform measure on the ballot, because my understanding is changing Portland's structure of government is wildly popular. Here's the backstory, is that um, each of the city commissioners and the mayor got to pick, I think, four people out of the almost 300 who applied to be on the charter uh, commission. And from what I can tell, they primarily pick people who have zero experience with urban planning or policy or city management administration, but again, went to the woke. And we've discussed some of the incompetent and ridiculous people on the charter, charter including a woman who accused Vadim uh, Mizroski, I believe, of racism because she didn't like that he disagreed with her. And instead of doing what they were supposed to do, which was figure out, look at the other models of other cities and figure out which one has been the most effective, they added on all of these additional conditions. And I want your listeners to know this. Do not vote in favor of this ballot as much as you want there to be reform. 
um, that what they're trying to infer is that if this is voted down, we'll have to wait another 10 years. That's absolutely not true. We can reform and revise the charter via a ballot at, at any time. And we've waited almost 100 years. Let's get it right. Um, but instead, what they want is an all or nothing ballot, which uh, doesn't give the mayor veto power, gives some some additional powers, and it does bring on a city manager. So that on its own, I would be willing to roll the dice and take a chance on. But no, this being Portland, they want to take an already uh, incompetent and feckless city commission, and they want to expand it, and they want to do ranked choice voting. And what that means is basically... Any of the fringe wackos who have run or who run every time and don't win, yeah, they would win this time. Not just that, but you would have these districts. So three people could have the same vested interest and form an alliance and get on the city council and vote down everything that benefits another part of the city. It's it is. It's just the insanity of Portland. Let's fix our system before we uh, expand it. Not to mention the fact that I am grateful that the Oregonian wrote a very well done op-ed opposing this ballot um, for much of the same reasons I'm talking about. Not to mention the fact that they have done no due diligence about where are we going to get all this money to pay for six or eight additional city council members. What, oh, oh, you want me to pay more property taxes or, or city taxes? No, I'm not paying more TriMet tax. Thank you very much. Um, as you know, we're, we're seeing a, a record number of people both uh, fleeing the city uh, and moving to counties nearby. But how many small businesses do you know who, who have moved to Washington County or Clackamas County? Because what People don't realize, as a small business owner myself, what people don't realize is that in Portland, small business owners are literally punished. We are punished for having the audacity to be entrepreneurs and to be employing people and to be creating a business because we have things like a TriMet tax and now a daycare tax, even though we, we already have Head Start. Um, the, the, the ballot or the proposal that that got this billions in homeless to begin with what have they done with that but oh yeah we're gonna listen to these super woke people one of whom has an out of out of office um reply saying please forgive her if she's delayed in um responding because of white supremacy or some <laughs> bullshit uh i wouldn't trust this woman i would not trust this woman to give my dog a bath let alone <laughs> make decisions that are going to impact generations of Portlanders. I mean, I want my child to feel like she wants to come home when she becomes an adult and live in the city where she's a fourth generation native, but not if it's continuing here. But the two most pressing things right now, do not vote yes for this proposed all or nothing ballot measure and Get everybody you know to vote for Renee Gonzalez and not to vote for Joanne Hardesty, which 43% of Portlanders did in the primary. And I'm assuming that was because a lot of people who aren't um, staying up on politics just voted across the line incumbents. 
But when you look at the data of the primary, that all of the neighborhoods that have the highest percentages of Black Portlanders did not vote for her. They voted for Renee or Vadim. Her own neighborhood did not vote for her, the neighborhood she lives in, which is very, very unusual. The neighborhoods that did, where she did win, surprisingly or not, are inner East Portland wealthy neighborhoods, like Laurelhurst, which I find stunning given what the residents there, at least the residents who are right by the park or on the park feel You know, with. Renee had that analyzed, and mm-hmm. he said that actually that's uh, misleading. He said the Oregonian wasn't able to, I don't know if it was their data or what data it was, but whatever it was, they weren't able to analyze the data correctly. So he had somebody look at it because they were confused by that too. It was skewed by Sunnyside. So so it wasn't Laurelhurst that voted for Joanne. It was Sunnyside. I am puzzled by that because I think Sunnyside has seen a fair amount of the brunt of homelessness issues. Yeah. My sister Um, lives in that neighborhood and she said that it was just riddled with Joanne signs. And there is now more and more public outcry from uh, very uh, well-respected Black Portlanders who have been engaged in in civic activities and politics for decades, who are all publicly coming out saying, as much as it hurts me to say this, because, you know, we don't want to say something bad about our own people, do not vote for this woman. Um, she, you know, the, the big takeaways I've heard from people who know her directly, uh, she's a bully. We all know that. She has zero interest in collaboration or hearing from her constituents. Um, when I talked to one small business owner who in de- was almost in tears, who finally got a meeting with her uh, about the daily rioting happening during the the summer of 2020 and that his business was in the toilet and that he could not afford to fix another window. She rolled her eyes, laughed at him and said, Oh, those are just white punk kids from the suburbs. Cause you know, if it was black kids, the cops would have arrested him. That was her reply to a constituent. And by the way, Portland, something important to remember that you push back on with people is that the constituents, the people that city leaders are supposed to listen to are people who vote the end. We are not all constituents. Yet, why, time and time again, are they fixated or focused on the individuals who are not constituents, who are not voters? It's just it's just disgusting. Um, so we have to, and we'll have more information as we get closer to fall. We are very excited that my organization, the Portland Party, is officially a PAC, a political action committee, and we're going to have lots to do. We're going to need lots of volunteers. You don't, that doesn't have to necessarily mean canvassing. How you do can, people find you to volunteer? You can go to portlandparty.org and sign up there. Um, and we will be sending out notifications of upcoming events or various volunteer tasks we need to uh, this evening we're meeting with Renee Gonzalez's team to figure out how we can collaborate and you know not be redundant because we don't we want to be able to provide support uh in areas where they 
are not able to cover or you know to fill in the gaps, not not to be doing the same thing. And I will be going to the neighborhoods. I hate doing it. I do not like canvassing, but I will be going to the neighborhoods that voted for um for her and and talk trying to talk to people and explain why she's bad for Portland. And you have so much data. What was it? The street response that she keeps touting? And you have data about how poorly that has gone? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, if I'm not prepared to back up what I say when I come on your show, I'm not going to say it. And I have spent a lot of time, as have you, as have a lot of people that are working with us, uh, in doing our own research because, man, I hate to sound like Donald Trump, but I can't rely on what our local journalists tell me because they're not being honest. They're not being honest. They are being subjective. They are writing the stories they want. Um, they do not care about us. We are, you know, I I really feel now that if you own a house and you make some kind of living, that there are a lot of people in the city who just think you're a bad person. I, I don't know what I'll do if she is reelected. I do think that had... Renee and Vadim not both run, she would not have racked up as many, as as high of a percentage as she did. Um, but uh, they are going to paint Renee as a white supremacist, evil, hardcore right wing. Which is so funny because his dad was a, was a Mexican farm worker. It's almost as if the left is like working secretly with the right to get people to to change how they're voting because I, I was at farmer's market on Sunday and there was a kid there trying to get people to sign the, um, the ballot that would provide tax funded uh, lawyers for people who don't pay their rent because be assured that, you know, the, the days of these slumlord landlords, at least in Portland that, you know, are stealing from tenants, et cetera. Uh, trust me ask any landlord tenant lawyer or go show up to land the landlord tenant court any day of the week and see what really happens. Uh, it, the, all of the protections are for the tenant, all of them. And there are nonprofits that, that were created for tenants. Um, but I, this, I saw the kid explaining to a man what he was getting money to. And as soon as it clicked, the guy just was like, absolutely not. I mean, he was just, are you kidding me? We have hundreds of people in jail right now in custody because there are not, there are not enough court appointed criminal attorneys to represent people in this state. And they want us to fund uh, private uh, attorneys where there are so many protections. The reason why there are not as many rentals now as there were five years ago is because of these insane city ordinances that the city commission passed that make it impossible for a single unit landlord who's just trying to get by to hold on to their property. It's not worth the risk. Who wants, who's going to agree to pay moving costs for someone at the end of their lease? I mean, give me a, you know, just come on. All these, um, all these far left progressive West Coast cities seem to have come out of this fog to some extent. Seattle. Oh um, yeah, look at that DA. God, I love that DA in San Francisco. Right. We need that somebody like that. Right. It, but but we seem to not. We seem to be 
doing even more damage. We seem to be thinking that uh, that people who work for a living have all the money in the world to fund all of these uh, programs. And uh, we're, we're not a socialist city, state, or country, people. If you believe in socialism, there are plenty of countries who will gladly have you. Leave us alone. We are a capitalist society. That doesn't mean we don't feel an obligation to give back and do for those who are far less fortunate. Ironically, it is across the board when they've looked at all of the uh, numbers uh people who are who vote republican uh, time and time again are, are more philanthropic than people that vote democratic w democrat which does not surprise me so i don't want people to to, to skew what i'm saying Th there are different ways uh of of being philanthropic that don't involve these arbitrary, ridiculous sanctions that are created by people who have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. You know, at any time there's now a decision or a ruling that comes out by the Supreme Court or by Congress. Uh, we, we here in Portland, if you're listening from somewhere else, we get to look forward to vandalism and assaults on, on reporters, which they do, uh, et cetera. Uh, by the way, do, do your listeners know that this, both the city of Portland and Multnomah, no, and Oregon Health Authority, so the state and the city gave an Antifa group uh, our COVID relief funds, 125000 from Oregon uh, Health Authority, which is a state of Oregon agency, uh, and the city gave them like a thousand or two Antifa, and I haven't even found the rest of it. You know, it's shameful. Wait, and what is that? The snack block group? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the snack block group. Um, I, I would. There's so much incestuous stuff going on between commissioners who pick and choose and write the checks, and these nonprofits that are popping up everywhere. I mean, the the, the new iteration. Uh, of a nonprofit that is getting millions and millions and millions to run these quote safe rest villages uh, have a horrible track record. Their reputation is terrible. Their former employees, current employees, are saying that they they don't train their employees, they don't keep them safe. Uh, they're total grifters, and and they just got millions to to run a a, a village. They have no experience with any of this stuff. We are just burning money, Portland. And again, this is coming from two women who have been lifelong Democrats. We are not some Fox News correspondent. This is this is how far the needle has moved to the left, where we are considered right wing. No, we're not right wing. We're just sensible and we're smart and we believe in due diligence and research and vetting and accountability, which... Uh, our city commission and these nonprofits apparently believe in none of it, nor does Nicole Hayden, the Oregonian reporter. She doesn't seem to believe in journalistic standards like uh, validating what uh, someone says, corroborating it, you know, getting confirmation that it happened. She just writes these stories where um, Ted Wheeler and the, and the rest of us are these horrible people who don't care about the homeless. Um, and it's the nonprofits that really do the nonprofits that have done nothing with the millions of dollars we've thrown at them to solve the problem. Nothing, nothing. Ugh, that felt good.
speaking of, I tweeted this out on Twitter, but for those of you who don't follow on Twitter or who didn't see it, the Oregon Health Authority had money from the federal government, a lot of money, tons of money. What did it do with it? Well, one of the things that it did was it handed out what it called health equity grants. One of the recipients of the health equity grant was A.J. McCreary's nonprofit, Equitable Giving Circle. A.J. McCreary was a candidate running against Dan Ryan for Portland City Council. And she's got this nonprofit called Equitable Giving Circle. They gave her $450,000. And just so you know kind of what that looks like in terms of context and what they gave other nonprofits, that's the same amount that OHA, Oregon Health Authority, gave to Catholic Charities, which is a fabulous charity. It's Fabulous, verifiable, unbelievable, good work charity. YWCA of Greater Portland also got that amount. I'd say pretty legitimate charity. Cascade AIDS Project, they only got 250000 Now, the question might be, well, is an equitable giving circle a legitimate charity? Interestingly, we dug into that. What do they do? Well, they claim that they give food to black people, farm produce from BIPOC farmers to BIPOC families. But if you dig into things like their social media, it's very, I mean, that that all sounds great. But if you dig into their social media, it's very interesting. Other things that they do is they do um, Zoom seminars. And one in particular we found a, we'll link to it in the show notes, is a, um, it's got a photo of a black man throwing paper in the air. And underneath the photo, it says Equitable Giving Circle Virtual Happy Hour, How Paperwork is a Gatekeeping Tool of White Supremacy. So OHA is funding uh, Equitable Giving Circle to teach us about how paperwork is a gatekeeping tool of white supremacy, among other things. And this is the same A.J. McCreary um, who you know, said something to the effect on, we discussed this earlier, but said something to the effect on the neighborhood black folks podcast about like, I want to smoke weed, go into Congress, look around and go, Hey guys, what's going on? I mean, this is where the money's going. Hundreds of thousands of dollars to this woman's nonprofit. Um, she's, she's got the metrics. Oh, she's gotten, I think where's the accountability. I I think when we added everything up, I think it was between the city and the state, like one and a half million dollars. I just checked on the IRS's form. Uh, Nonprofits have to file what's called a 990 that, that allows them to keep their tax exempt status. And I did confirm that there, it's not like when you file your taxes as, as an individual, there are no extensions for this. I don't see a 990. Um, I see the only thing I see with the Secretary of State is their their determination that they qualify as a nonprofit at the beginning, but um, there's nothing 
with the IRS, or that's the IRS. The IRS has a determination. Let me pull this up. Uh, I believe it just says, congratulations, you can be a nonprofit. But that was in, when was it? Well, in July of 2021. Um, she did not file her 21990. She, there's there's nothing there's no, there's no there are no documents there are no financials she didn't she didn't do any of that um at best her the description of what her nonprofit does is incredibly vague and i i don't there are no metrics i don't i've never heard you know every friday we do this every monday we do that i think she's just living large on the hog on our money um, this is also a person who I believe record keeping that rep record keeping uh, sense of urgency. That's white supremacist too. Um, when you look at the organizations that received the forty four million in equity funds, I'm I would like to think I'm pretty up to speed on various nonprofits, both locally and nationally, the vast majority and the majority of the nonprofits that received the hundreds of thousands, I've never heard of before. My guess is that many of them were created at the time they applied for these grants, and there was no vetting. I mean, Catholic Charities should be the highest um, recipient. I mean, everything that Catholic Charity does touches on equity. My God, I mean, they are the number one organization for rescuing uh, refugees who are fleeing African war-torn countries. Um, their resettlement program is probably the biggest in the country. I mean, when you meet a Somalian person or an Ethiopian person here in Minnesota, odds are that it was Catholic Charities that brought them here and their families here and paid for everything. Um, but yet A.J. McCreary is given the same amount of money as Catholic Charities. So this is another example of how there is absolutely no accountability or oversight it, by either our, uh, or our, our uh, state level leadership uh, and certainly not our local and county leadership. Well, there's no, there's no demand for metrics. There's no accountability. There's no, well, what did she spend the money on? What results did she get? None. It's allegedly COVID related. So how did she tie it to COVID? Did she... Did she give food to black people who had COVID and weren't able to go grocery shopping? I mean, I'd like to know how this tax money was spent. I mean, well, you know. and one, I think one thing that would be a good idea for your listeners who are wanting to help is if, if we in an organized mat manner signed up a number of people and we who we basically calendared every upcoming city council meeting that was open to the public. And at every meeting, we had at least one individual sign up just to put pressure and to ask questions about the this issue, the nonprofit grants and contracts, uh, demanding answers, demanding oversight, demanding metrics and results, and just being relentless. I mean, that's what we need to do, people. We need to push back. And to do that, we need we need numbers. We we both work full time. The other people that we're involved with all work full time. So um, the more of us there are, and, and it's not anything that's going to take a lot of your time, 
but there are power in numbers. The other benefit to that is that if it's just a few people that are raising these issues over and over again, they easily uh, and quickly deem us fringe and the exception to the rule, but they can't do that. Like Oregon Health Authority, after eight hours of testimony with 98% of the speakers opposing a, a permanent mask mandate, they couldn't ignore that anymore. And that's why you're not hearing, uh, even in crazy Portland, they're highly well, but we do have a permanent mask mandate. In other words, OHA could demand that we mask up today, this minute, and we'd have to right. do it without without process or room for public comment or anything. Yeah, well, that that is a good point. And I, I guess my my feeling is the reason that they're not they're not imposing a mandatory mandate is because they know what the sentiment is by the majority of people in the state I hope now. So. Yeah. Um, and that people are, are, you know, because now at least the experts are saying we encourage people to get high quality N95. Like they're, they're no longer just saying wear a mask. Well, I don't know about they, every time I see like a woke political candidate, they're, they're wearing some mask that is completely ineffective and they're wearing it outside, which is hilarious. It's usually their cloth or surgical, but, um, I will say the feds are now, they're now not wedded to that narrative that, hey, this virus is so strong, it can get past two vaccines and a booster, but it can't get past your Paw Patrol mask. They're now saying, you know, we need to, hand, we'll be handing you out high quality masks. Now, what that means, I really don't know. If it ends up being surgical, that's going to be hilarious. If they don't teach you how to use it and wear it and and how to fit, test it. That will also be hilarious because- even the very best K95 is not to be used until it's fit tested. Most experts will say that the CDC says that. It's just silly. Uh, one more thing, you know, if anybody's wondering whether this uh, equitable giving circle might might have some sort of legitimacy or this that this AJ McCreary uh, woman is is has some substance and and you know maybe she does maybe she doesn't. But if you want to know more about her. She went on this podcast called uh, Your Neighborhood Black Friends. And this was before she ran for city council. And she was rather candid with her answers. These are some of the things that she said. This is from the transcript from the podcast. I Here's a snippet. I rejected a nine to five and a traditional job situation. That's been one of the ways that I've personally been decolonizing. Another morsel. Everything's rooted in white supremacy. That's part of that decolonization journey is that, is that it is forever and that all of the things that we do are rooted in that, right? Another one. We live in a system that is hyper-focused on capitalism that is rooted in white supremacy. We are colonized beings. And here's another one. We think about word, you know, colonization is something that happened a long time ago, but it's still happening now. The new term is gentrification. It's appropriation. Here's another good one. It's all sort of what we're doing, this work, and it's either for everybody or positively impacting white folk and perpetuating the things that I've studied and I actively don't resonate or agree with. At 30, I've made that commitment and I'm not doing this shit anymore. Another one. I, this is the one I mentioned before. 
this, this is the direct quote. I low key want to be Congresswoman and smoke weed and then go and be like, what are we talking about here? What's happening? So this is the woman who runs a nonprofit who was given $450,000 in COVID money from Oregon Health Authority. Now, I hear a lot of my woke friends saying things like, oh, it's too bad about this new variant. You know, OHA is just so underfunded. And my head almost explodes when I hear that. I mean, it makes me, I feel so gaslit. I, I don't think they know. In fact, I don't think most people know how much money has flowed into OHA and what they spent it on. $450,000 to AJ McCreary? Do you, just think for a minute about how many vaccines they could have driven around to old people or people undergoing cancer treatments. I mean, a lot of these old people are not fully vaccinated. They're not fully boosted. They could have driven the vaccine to them for that kind of money. They could have fit tests. They could have handed out a bunch of good American-made N95 masks, which are apparently the best quality, um, and and had done fit testing on them and training about how to wear them and use them for adults. They could have done that for elderly people, for immunocompromised people. Hey, if you want to go to the grocery store, really protect yourself. Here's how you do it. Here's how you wear this. There was none of that. Instead, it was $450,000 to teach us how paperwork is a gatekeeping tool of white supremacy. It's outrageous. It is outrageous. And people don't understand that all this money flowed into the OHA and that they just frittered it away on this kind of garbage. All, it's not just OHA. The city of Portland also says, and I will go ahead and link to this, that it contracted with, quote, unquote, PDX City Council candidate McCurry's nonprofit Equitable Giving Circle. You, this is from my, I sent this tweet out May 10th, using both city general fund dollars as well as CARES Act funds. Well, again, swimming in federal money that should be used for COVID. What could the city have done with that? How, how about vaccinate people in our, old people in our city? How about that? Um, how about, uh, remember, remember when we were locked down and nobody could find a test? How about buy some tests and hand them out? Yeah. How I about mean, for, get the goddamn kids back to school? Right. Uh, for context, uh, OYA gave Legacy a manual $71,000. <laughs> I mean, a hospital who is treating COVID patients right. got less than AJ McCreary in COVID money. Right. Yep. You heard it here first, people. You heard it here first. I'm just looking at some of, I mean, many, many of these organizations I've never heard of. So now, and many are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I, I don't see with a lot of them a connection between COVID, health, health equity. And um, we need... We need voters. We need you all to vote and we need you to get engaged. And I need you to go to portlandparty.org now that we're official and sign up because it's a great place to get updates. Um, you can connect with us there. You can reach out to me directly and say, I, you know, I, I do want to help, but this is my, these are my limitations. Um, we, because we have to get the city back. Well, we, and, we have and, to. and if the $450,000 grant we have to get the, I mean, we have to get the state back because we'll be, you're going to be doing endorsements for governor too, right? Yes. Okay, good. Because 
um, if the OHA grant to AJ McCreary of $450,000 was not enough to get you to vote correctly or to, to, to get you to on board with turning things around for next time, the city of Portland, I, I've got the numbers here. The city of Portland gave uh, A.J. McCreary's nonprofit, the paperwork is, is white supremacy seminar holding nonprofit, Mm -hmm. That's in addition to the money she received from OHA. So it's, you know, this is almost a million dollars and that's just from the city and it's just from Oregon Health Authority. If you Google equitable giving circle, you will find the Meyer Charitable Trust gave her money. You you will find that that people all over this country gave her money. Influencers on Instagram were telling people to give her money. You should there. You you should be able to pull up a nonprofit's nine ninety uh, on the IRS website, and there's nothing there. Um, so, yeah. So we yes. So well, I have some we more. Know I have some more. I have some more. Okay. So PNW Peep, our buddy on Twitter, it's kind mm-hmm. of like our the mm. uh, Rational and PDX uh, in Portland Party Stan account. PNW Peep, who we love. said that there are 21 nonprofits calling for less police and closure of all major Portland arterials to vehicles to save the homeless. And he provided me with a link to that. And there's a, it's like they put out a little press release that said safe streets and housing advocates respond to, I'll link to this, respond to emergency declaration. Do not use traffic deaths as justification for encampment sweeps to make our streets safer. Housing first. So I want to tell you how much these, these individuals and these nonprofits and Joanne Hardesty care about, about people on the streets. There is a woman who has been on Northwest 23rd at about Marshall in front of Good Sam Hospital for months, for months, we confirmed this with one of the uh, Good Sam security guys who is completely naked on like sitting outside, completely naked, unwell, in crisis, does not look well, is, you know, ranting, screaming at people. Uh, Good Sam has tried everything they can to get someone to come and help this woman and no one will come. I called 911 and asked for street response. Uh, I was very specific in the information. She was still there. They never showed up. Here is the reality. It has virtually nothing to do with public safety or, or preventing or stopping crime. Their scope is incredibly small. They can only respond when a person is outside, not impeding traffic, doesn't have a weapon, isn't threatening anybody, isn't committing a crime. Uh, that that's not that's not a whole lot of of people they can respond to. It has nothing to do with law enforcement. And um, you know, Hardesty to this day wa- wants to get rid of more and more police. And what I love is this disconnect where she doesn't understand why we can't recruit police officers. Well, I don't know, but if it was me and I signed up for a job where I was putting my life on the line every day for people that said 
all cops are bastards and spit in my face and tell me to fuck off and et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how motivated I would be uh, to sign up with that jurisdiction. It is why P PPB officers are going to other uh, agencies in record numbers. It is not, you know, when you look at if you talk to a law enforcement expert who studies and looks at various agencies all over the country, they would tell you that we rank very high as far as being a good police department in terms of how our treatment of people that are mentally ill, et cetera. Do, do they get it wrong sometimes? Yes, they get it wrong sometimes. But do I want to live in a city where we continue down this road? No, I don't. Who does? Who does? I, the first thing I do now when I get into my car is lock my door. I never did that before. Downtown, I'm always assessing when I park. I'm always looking for people. I'm always assessing. I have like keys out, my purse out. Um, I'm co constantly aware. You know, when, when I drop my daughter off and she's walking a block to school downtown, every single day I say, don't be on your phone. Don't be looking down at your phone. Be aware, you know, because this is this is the environment we've create, created for our kids. It's disgusting. So do not vote for Hardesty. I would like to think that there are some people who listen to you just because they disagree with you. So if that yeah, is there you, are. I know there are. And some of them are my friends. <laughs> do you do you hear for I mean has any of this changed any of their thinking? When we, when we do provide the yeah. concrete info? Yeah, for some people. I mean, for some people, I do think it is kind of a religion. I mean, they don't have, they don't, they're, they're searching for meaning in their lives. They're, a lot of them don't belong to a religious organization that might provide them with that or um, practice some kind of meditation or they, they're just not finding it in their current situation. And I think a lot of them are wedded to tribalism and to their political parties, but their far left fringe values, they're sort of wedded to those talking points as a way to make meaning in their life and as a way to feel like they're doing something for people who have been historically oppressed. And I understand yeah. that. When I do talk to them, I just kind of listen, you know, and they don't solicit advice from me. They just kind of parrot talking points and I sit and listen and it doesn't assist me because I, I can't engage in a dialogue with them, but I appreciate that they listen. You know, that's a big step. And, and maybe someday they'll change their mind about an issue or two. Who knows? What, um, you know, what happens to me all the time is that uh, a friend or family member who is, you know, much further left than I am initiates a political discussion. And then when I engage, does the, you know, I don't, I really don't want to talk about politics. Can we just enjoy the night? Right. I swear, right. I can't tell you how often that happens. Oh, why? Because you have no comeback to what I'm saying? Because you know you have no legitimate response other than you sound ridiculous? And talk about gaslighting. My mother just did this to me recently. Um It's like the ultimate gaslighting. I don't bring up politics. And, and as we've discussed, I mean, I have friends who I, I dearly love, who I do not share their political views. And I just want them to stop bringing it up. Um, stop bringing up politics. I mean, I, I, you know, I have, I have friends literally who are like, vote yes on all of these things. And then when I'm like, Hey, we're, um, 
we're adopting a family for Christmas. Could, do you want to sign up? Or, hey, will you donate to this particular uh, cause of mine? These are people in their 50s who are who still to this day say, oh, my parents give on behalf of the whole family. They're 80-year-old parents because, you know, when you're in your 50s, you're still a kid and you shouldn't have to make donations on your own. There is a direct correlation between those people voting for Hardesty and having that mentality. I find it very interesting. The hypocrisy is stunning to me. Yeah, I think that's why I would be interested in talking to people who are committed to voting for her, talking to people in neighborhoods who who wanted to vote for her. And we, please, we want to hear from people committed to voting oh, for yeah, her. Of and I promise you, give, give us your will be, come on the show. Come on the yes, show. We will be we will be open-minded. We will be nice. We're yeah, not we just gonna listen. judge you. We just want to well, listen. Look at all the the episodes with the people that I mean, I vehemently disagree with Rosie. She's a become a friend of mine, but she and I do not see eye to eye. And we did very well together. Lionel Irving and I certainly did not see eye to eye. And he did not like me when he first came in and sat down. And by the end, we were friends, you know. So mm-hmm. come in. I just want to listen to what you Why have to say. Why didn't he like you initially? Ask questions. Um, I think because he assumed that, well, I know because he had listened and he he was a listener. So he's one of the people who who listened and and disagreed with virtually everything that I thought or had to say, or that my, my guests that were in any way aligned with me had to say. And, um, he was, uh, he, he believes that the riots were justified. He, he is adamant Lionel Irving is that he did not participate in the riots, but he believes that they were, the violence was completely justified to get the police defunded to get the gun violence team, the gun violence reduction team disbanded, which he, he felt was extremely racist. And to, and of course he's on the revamped, it's not the gun violence reduction team, but whatever program they put in place of that, that's the revamped version. He's on the, it's the fit community team. He's on that now. And that's why it was really interesting to talk to him about like currently what they're doing. I mean, he gets to sit in on confidential police briefings about homicide and gun violence. That's part of what he gets to do with that, which is really fascinating given given his history. I mean, he was in federal prison. Yeah, he was in prison um, and in jail for committing homicide. And he was he turned his life around um, and was able to be released and, and be he's actually a community leader. And we don't see eye to eye philosophically. And, and so I think he he disliked me. Um, even though he's a very positive person and I'm surprised and he, it sounds like he talks to people that disagree with him philosophically all the time. But once he sat down and we, he, he learned that I was just mostly going to listen and then ask questions about everything he said from where, and I just wanted to get to know him. Where did he grow up? Uh, how, how did he end up getting involved in violence? We went through all that. It's a fascinating uh, podcast if anybody hasn't heard it, but I, I can't, I liked him. Um, I, I, we just disagreed philosophically. So please come on. If you're a Hardesty supporter, if, if you, if you're working on our campaign, get in touch with us. Um, we're at Rational and PDX on Twitter and send me a message and just get in touch with me and let me know, um, if you want to come on the show, what kind of topics you want to talk about and let's chat. Um, 
about it? Because I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, of course. I, I think that's a great idea. And I think it also, um, it tells you that this isn't, um, this isn't a media outlet where it's, it's creating the narrative that you want or um, that you're trying to indoctrinate people that you're open to hearing, you know, that, I mean, I've, I've probably changed my mind about things in the last um, couple of months. I mean, I was with a friend yesterday and as you know, I, I like to say that the only issue political issue that I've changed my mind about in years is the issue of school choice, which I now believe in. And her response was, kind of back to what, where I used to be, like that the people that will suffer will be poor kids um, because everybody else will flee. And I, you know, my reply was, no, I think it's really the middle income families. It's the people where they are making under, under six figures. Um, if you are, if you are poor, uh, you can get the financial aid you need to go to private school. And she said, but how are they going to get there? And I had not thought about that before. That was, mm -hmm. that kind of deflated my, my view. And I was like, well, there, you know, there are private schools and neighborhoods, but I mean, to her point, it's not always pragmatically feasible, even if you can get the money, um, to go to school. So, you know, that, that sort of opened my eyes and ha is making me kind of rethink my position. Um, so, so yeah, one, one of the things that PNWP wanted us to look into were these nonprofits that signed on to this. Mm -hmm. Oh, houseless yes. housing challenge. Um, the, the calling for less police and closure of all major Portland arterials to vehicles, all of them to save the homeless. And, um, so one of them, he, he wanted to know about OHA grants and some of them did get OHA grants. One of them is called human solutions, Inc. And I think you can kind of tie this to home COVID at least because it is a housing, although I philosophically disagree with housing first, it is a housing first organization. And I think you can tie housing first to COVID. Um, you know, getting people out of group situations or shelter situations where COVID's easier to spread into their own unit or something. I mean, that, that makes sense that you could tie it to COVID. But but I will say, um, I mean, he PNWP knew he was on the right track because they all signed this letter. But I will say um, Human Solutions website is interesting in that they are completely dedicated to being a quote-unquote anti-racist, institution. They have a link to Ibram X. Kendi on their website. They claim to be uh, Kendi devotees that adhere to his anti-racist philosophy. So to that end, um, PNWP was on the right track. And um, OHA gave Human Solutions $450,000 in mm -hmm. a health equity grant. So PNWP was right about that. So mm -hmm. I'm just kind of going through. Well, and I'm looking at the city of Portland just in 2021 alone, it looks like adding up the math upwards of six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars $700,000 to this organization. Um, wow. 46,000 is one payment, 46,000 another, 178,000 another, 226,000 another. Um, and uh, they are from all different 
areas of the city's uh, funds, Portland Children's Investment Fund, Home Grant Fund, CET Residential, uh, Housing Investment. Um, that's just one. And I, I have the Chat 3000 Challenge up. I'm looking to see. So as, as your listeners know, um, when they first created this this opposition to all emergency efforts. They they believe, these 33 nonprofits believe that the key to this whole thing is to give anybody who wants one a key to an apartment, the end, with zero oversight or accountability. And as you all know, and I don't care what anybody tells you, and I just had a man stand up and speak to a group of lawyers lying, lying through his teeth, the vast majority of people that are in tents on the street are addicts who are suffering from both addiction and sure mental illness, but who are service resistant, who have been offered, uh, as Kevin told you all, um, many refuse to go into housing. They refuse services. And this whole housing first model is absolute insanity. I mean, the people that have studied it, Michael Schellenberger, et cetera, the homeless advocate and expert, Kevin, what, what is his last name? I Kevin don't remember. Kevin from We Heart Portland, and his mm-hmm. partner is Andrea Suarez from We Heart Seattle. Kevin also works for the city of Gresham, and he has done absolute wonders in the city mm-hmm. of Gresham, getting homeless people out of tents, out of the gutters, off of the streets, reunited with friends, reunited with families, into detox centers, into shelters, into rehab centers, into you know, halfway homes, um, to work. I mean, he will pay them. He will pay them to work for him. And he is willing, he is willing to call out and speak out against the homeless industrial machine, him and his partner. If, if there is, and I urge you all to support his organization. And it sounds like he did get quite a bit of donations after he came on your show. Is that right? Yeah. And thank you everybody so much for reaching out to Kevin. He said he he received so many donations, he was blown away. He said they received an incredible amount of outreach and people who said, look, I heard you on, on Rational in Portland and I want to donate. I want to volunteer. I mean, it wasn't even just checks, which of course he appreciates. It was a lot of, where can we sign up to volunteer? Right. So he was just incredibly touched by that. And he actually called me to let me know. So thank you to everybody out there who did that. Love you all so much. It's just, it's so great that we're getting the word out there. And yeah, go to We Heart Portland, We Heart Seattle, contact Kevin Dahlgren. You can also find him on Twitter, D-A-H-L-G-R-E-N is his last name, how you spell it. You can also find him on Twitter and um, reach out to him. And if you haven't already, find out how to donate, find out how to volunteer and just ask him what you can do to help because obviously this city and in general, the state is not interested in assisting the people they claim to care the most about are most vulnerable. These, these people splayed out in the streets. Yeah. The city, Sam Adams, are you listening? I know you follow rational. He needs to be, you need to appoint him as the, as the homeless czar, as the, as the, as the head of the city of, of, to, to, to manage this because he is an expert in his field. He is doing this for all the right reasons. 
He is not afraid to call out the grift and the organizations that want to maintain the status quo and best believe there are many. Why do you think they're so opposed to all emergency shelters? I mean, ask yourself, well, because if we actually solve the problem or most of the problem, then the millions and millions of dollars these nonprofits are getting stop. And it, it is, you know, again, we were able to find out in two hours that just nine of the 33 nonprofits who are opposing um, all sweeps, all, you know, it's shelter or bust, received over $5 million from the city of Portland in just a year or two. I mean, I didn't go back five years or 10 years. Um, the, the organization that's been tasked with the Safe Rest Villages, they have zero a track record. There has to be a reason for this. They changed their name. All Good Northwest. They were selected as the shelter operator for the Multnomah Safe Rest Village after helping hands pulled out because um, a listener was able to give helping hands the text of the ordinance. Oh, let's chat and, about that for a minute too. Yeah. Let's not, I, I have some uh, updates um, on on the brilliant Dan Ryan and the uh, Safer's Village issue and just had another incident where the um, president of the Multnomah uh, Neighborhood Association, who is so obsessed with making this village work, again, uh, a woman who lives right next to the village, zoomed in for their monthly meeting, the Multnomah Neighborhood Association. She lives right next to where they put up this village. And uh, she she brought up the fact that, oh, guess what? The city knew that this property where this village is, is a federal property that, that has leased the property to the city for a very narrow purpose, which is this. There are no west side emergency staging areas in Portland, meaning that if there was an earthquake, if there was a national or uh, 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 some sort of uh, event, the west siders would be screwed because everything's located on the east side. So if the bridges were down, et cetera, we would not be able to access those. Um, so they decided to ignore that and they were going to put in this village and somebody filed a request with FEMA asking them to review the deed and the city's plan to make sure that it was in compliance. So what do you know? After the city spends, what, another, who cares, 10 million, 15 million, 25 million on this village, FEMA issues their ruling, which is this, the city of Portland is not in compliance with the deed and this is going to be corrected. And when FEMA says we're going to work with the city in curing the problem, it means that it's not going to be allowed to stay. They're going to have to, they're going to have to move everybody out if they've already placed people in that village. Because Dan Ryan is so arrogant that he just decided he dismissed a, a national uh, agency like FEMA. So this woman who's been dealing with this issue asked, you know, what is the neighborhood association's position now that FEMA has said it can't remain? And he said to her, I shit you not, this isn't the appropriate time to discuss the matter. So she pushed back a little bit and he started getting annoyed and I couldn't help myself. So I spoke up and spoke on her behalf couldn't. and said, 
how, how is this not the appropriate place? This is the monthly neighborhood association meeting. This woman lives in the neighborhood and is addressing an issue that is directly connected to the neighborhood association because you all are the ones that have been busy recruiting the city to put this village in and are the point people for the city. And he basically said he won't tolerate, I think he used the word hysterical, which nothing gets me more pissed off than being accused of being hysterical because I'm an articulate woman who isn't afraid to push back against a man. Um, and just, he refused to answer any of the questions. He refused. But this is the same guy who threatened to cut me off, like to to kick me out of a Zoom when I when Dan Ryan wouldn't answer my question. That's right. When you were when you were quoting Dan Ryan's yes. ordinance back to right. him and using his own statutory term, high impact homeless, and Dan Ryan said that you were being prejudicial towards homeless people. Right, right. Dan Ryan said whatever what you call this, this like he was he was acting like I made up the term and, and I, I was reading from the ordinance he created. From his own so, statute. Yeah. yeah. So, so this neighborhood didn't association he call somebody, guy, um, homophobic. Oh yes. Oh no. Oh, he, oh yes. I know what you're talking about. He, so for months, the parents and the faculty at uh, the international school and bridges school, um, have been as they should be asking for meetings with the city both the schools and the Downtown Business Association have been appropriately asking Dan Ryan's team and the city to meet with them, confer with them, work out some issues like safety. Okay, it's called and, the Portland International School. Yeah. There you go. And the, and the city blew them off, blew them off, blew them off. So finally the school said, and they and the schools really worked hard. They said, this is part of our core values. We want our, we want the kids here to see that, you know, that we need to help people and help people when they're not in a good place and provide housing, you know, when they're ready, et cetera. So they really wanted to make it work. And, um, after, months of being ignored and blown off and having the city refuse to address issues like, uh, you know, uh, camps popping up in the perimeter. And by the way, there are plenty in case anybody's wondering, no, they have not removed any of the surrounding camps. Um, this, the, the, uh, school administration said we cannot in good faith agree to this or, or endorse this because of these legitimate reasons. And, that village is intended for people who are um, uh, L LGBTQT, et cetera. And so Dan Ryan's very public response to the media was accusing the school, the schools of being homophobic. That's why they couldn't agree to the term, because this very liberal progressive school that was all all in on this village, assuming the city would do some very basic things to protect the students. Now they're just a bunch of rage, raging homophobes. I mean, the audacity this man has, he is, as I've said, the worst combination. He's both arrogant and he's not very smart. Um, so now there's, so there's two, two of the villages. One is not, is, is legally in violation of the deed of that property. And the other is, um, uh, not not honoring this other emergency um, ordinance where uh, Wheeler said that there were not allowed to be any 
tents or RVs or campsites within, I think it was a thousand feet of a safe rest village. Well, there's camps and tents all around uh, that village. I mean, that is not to mention the fact that, I mean, this solves what problem of 50 people or 60 people getting them off the street. What about everybody else? Um, they, they still refuse to do a real time, uh, update of how many shell. I mean, the most obvious, e easiest thing to solve is creating a database of every day, um, of, you know, just like hotels do with how many rooms are available, how many shelter beds are available, how many people are in a wait list for a shelter. So that if Kevin is working with, uh, an individual who does want to go into a shelter, he can quickly, you know, analyze it. Why do they want, why, why do they refuse to create that database? Because it doesn't fit their narrative. Because what they prefer to say is, we don't have enough shelter beds. We don't have enough shelter beds. The city doesn't care about the homeless. That is bullshit. That is bullshit, people. We have enough shelter beds, but we have individuals who, for a variety of reasons, won't go to shelters. That's the bottom line. So Sam Adams, if you're listening, we have somebody to be the leader in this, to be our Moses and to get us out of this nightmare. Yeah. Call, call Kevin Dahlgren. I mean, everybody else is, I think Sharon, I never pronounced her name correctly. I think it's Myron. Myron. I think Sharon, Myron is, uh, Terry Pregrigsby pronounces it Myron. Um, Maybe I'm Sharon wrong. Myron, Sharon Myron, who's running for Multnomah County chair. She has reached out to Kevin Dahlgren is my understanding. They've had conversations. I know um, Renee will be sitting down with Kevin Dahlgren and having a discussion with him um, about homeless issues and, and how to try to fix things. Um, so other people are reaching out to Kevin. I mean, the Pearl District Neighborhood Association, they, they paid Kevin and Andrea $10,000 because they were so desperate to get rid of the open air drug markets and the, the open air theft rings that were going on in these encampments all throughout their neighborhood and the city wasn't doing anything about it. The county wasn't doing anything about it. The state sure as hell wasn't doing anything about it. And they hired Kevin and Andrea to just walk around, talk to these people and get them reunited with their families and get them into treatment. And if they didn't want to get into treatment, then they helped them, you know, pack up their stuff and, and, and nicely pack up their tent and see if they could find somewhere for them to stay for the night in a, in a shelter, a low barrier shelter. Yeah, they, they. I mean, I would do that. You know, you, you know, when you're desperate, you find out, and and when you hear what works, when you hear somebody like Kevin and Andrea, if you have not heard that podcast episode yet on this podcast, Rational in Portland, go listen to it. Listen to it now. If you have not heard from Kevin and Andrea yet about what really works to get homeless people off of the street and out of misery, then. Listen to them. They are doing amazing work, boots on the ground, and they are absolutely committed to it. This is all they do 24-7. And if you have any questions for them, call them, leave a message if you need to, get in touch with them on Twitter, Andrea Suarez and Kevin Dahlgren on Twitter if you want to. They also respond there. And if you have any questions, they will sit down and talk to you. They'll talk on the, they'll give you their cell phone numbers and they will talk to you as long as you want about your concerns, about what they do. They'll answer any questions and you can hire them to really make a difference and to get your, you know, the, the, it's not about, 
sure the the goal is getting streets cleaned up in the end. I, I understand that, but really the best part about what they're doing is they're helping people splayed out on the street, get into treatment. Kevin is a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. Kevin Dahlgren is. He currently works for the city of Gresham. He is trained, well-trained, and he can, he's in touch. He and Andrea know all of these shelters. They know all the detox places. They know all the treatment places. They will, I mean, they get people into apartments. They get people into housing. They get people into shelters. They get people, I mean, if you think you can't get into a shelter, they will make as many calls as it takes all day and all night to get you into there. If if you if you feel like you can't get into detox, same thing. They will drive you there. They will they will give you bus money. They they will do whatever it takes. They will give you a job, and and those are the kind of things that I think are really important that they're doing. Yes, the end result is that the you know your neighborhood is is cleaned up, but I think especially in Portland, in the end. That's not what we're really concerned with. What we're really concerned with is when we look around and we go, you know what? It's like the Terry Anderson episode on Rational in Portland when Terry, I talked to Terry Anderson and, you know, her, her son died homeless and schizophrenic under the Burnside Bridge of a fentanyl overdose. And she wanted to get him into mental health treatment. She wanted to get him into drug treatment. He wouldn't go. It's, you look around and you go, you know what? These are people's sons. These are people's mm-hmm. brothers. These mm-hmm. are people's sisters. These are people's mommies and daddies. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. Who, who would love? Who would love to know that their child was in jail? Because at least they that. would be safe. Or um, would love they, to know that Kevin and Andrea are interacting with them to get them reunited with their family. Yeah. yeah. Do, I mean, do you want to? I mean, the the best example of how broken our state is and how these far left policies have ruined us is the part where Kevin, in the the episode that he did, uh, they found a two year old in a tent with yes. with parents who for two years have refused have refused all measures have refused housing have refused shelters uh in the tent there were needles there was human feces there was everything you could imagine they called dhs dhs determined that the child was safe and refused to act i i am not joking this is our state uh child welfare agency they would not take that two-year-old out of that tent well, and I actually talked to a listener from Portland Police Bureau about this. Just to, you know, I trust Kevin, but just does it sound right to you? Because it, it just sounded so, it made me so angry and upset. I think like a lot of us, I heard from a lot of you who said you were very angry and upset by that two-year-old anecdote uh, with DHS, with the state, with the city, with the county. Like, what the hell is going on? Why aren't we protecting our babies? And this Portland Police Bureau officer said, oh, yeah. That's exactly right. We see it all the time. And by the way, talk about inhumane. I mean, inhumane is Jennifer, who was shot point blank execution style, who, yeah, who the Oregonian woman. profiled. Um, this woman who grew up in foster, I mean, has been failed at every she level was shot of by her another life. Homeless person, shot right? in the head point blank because she was having a, a, a mental health uh, emergency and was being too loud. Had she been forced into shelter, she would be alive. She would be alive today, and and possibly getting treatment and getting better. Um, so these irresponsible, immoral asshats, who 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 are happy to take tens of thousands of millions of dollars of taxpayer dollars, while simultaneously wanting people to stay on the street, are despicable. 
and you heard it from me. I will I will tell you that to your face. You are despicable. Look at the results since Wheeler finally acted in because my friend Jesse Burke, who is phenomenal, who is the head of the uh, Old Town Business Association and is a force of nature and brilliant and just I can't say enough about her, who connects with people of all races, of all backgrounds. I mean, you she has helped a man who, uh, a black man on, on the east side who had a dream of owning his own butcher shop. Well, guess who he went to? He went to Jesse and she figured out how to help find the funding for him. And he, he and his dream came true. And he now is a successful business owner. Because of her uh, resilience and reless, relentlessness um, and having press conferences where she all of the business owners who have businesses in Old Town, they know the homeless community down there. They know they know them better than these quote unquote homeless experts. Uh, she she just forced. She just would not stop, and she kept pressuring the city and pressuring the city. And she knows how to navigate the diplomacy and all of that until Wheeler finally acted. And guess what? They've started doing the sweeps. Um, businesses are are getting business again. That that is what you have to do. It whether it's you live on a street and 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 the city won't do anything. And by the way, when Joanne Hardesty re replies to people, I don't um, oversee the police. I have no control over community safety or what's happening on your street. She oversees Hebot, the transportation bureau. She's the one that has when they have to move broken down, dilapidated, expired, tagged RVs from one location because it's about to become a construction site, et cetera, her brilliant idea is she has those RVs towed in front of people's houses in residential neighborhoods. And you want to talk to some, some of the individuals who've had to deal with the aftermath of that, what it's like. It's absolutely horrifying. It's horrifying. I've got one more thing for you before you go. Verde received $148,720 from Oregon Health Authority. Now, I know you know a lot about Verde. What can you tell us about Verde? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure they're the ones that have ended up getting the contract to disperse the AC units and the portable heaters that you and I have talked about, the $11.5 million contract or whatever. So I, I don't remember there being any press releases about that. I don't know that the city's publicized that. I do know that the city has given Verde um, looks like $156,000. Now, again, this is delayed because... The, and that's separate, of course, from the Oregon Health Authority COVID money that was given to Verde. Right. And and this is, I mean, well, they've gotten payments as recently as May. Um, again, there's no indication of oversight, what this is for, uh, what the metrics are, Um but Verde is run by one of the women who, um, I believe it's the woman who has the white supremacist reply, out of office reply. Uh, is that right? Candace Avalos? I'm pretty sure. But um, we will continue, I hope. Um, if, if there are any nonprofits that you would like me to look into listeners, please feel free to reach out to the rational. Yes. Candace um, Avalos is the executive director of Verde. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. So she's, she's one of the two women who is aligned with Hardesty and tried to get, uh, tried to influence the, the campaign by accusing Vadim of being racist. Um, 
and has the out of office reply saying, please, you know, if if I don't get back to you soon enough, you know, remember it's it's white supremacy. And I, you know, oh, the other thing is if people have tips on other ways, like whether it's uh, county, metro, other state agencies for us to research other areas where these nonprofits are getting um, state money or government money, tax money, please let us know. And, oh, I lost my train of thought for a minute. I was going to say that. Um, I, Did you take your Adderall today? <laughs> <laughs> you sound like my husband. Have I talked to you about that? Yes. Um, I know I am pretty hyper. He would, if he, well, you know, if he heard me right now, he would say that. Did you remember to take your Adderall? You know, PNWP also pointed out Communities of Color Coalition was paid a large sum by the city of Portland to conduct outreach for the Charter Commission. They attempted to do this via a race-based exclusionary public meeting. They need to be on the list of nonprofits that you guys dig into what, on Rational What is PDS. the name? It's called Coalition of Communities of Color, and it was with Charter Commissioners Amira Streeter, Becca Uberlaw, Robin Yee, and Salome Chumuku. I may have butchered some of those apologies. Um, it says this event, so this is a flyer for the event, Monday, March 21st, I believe this is 2022, 5 to 6.30 p.m., Portland Charter Commission, BIPOC Town Hall. This event is an affinity space for Black, Indigenous. Now, now remember, this is an event to discuss the question, to do a question and answer town hall session with the charter commissioners about the charter, direct access to the charter commissioners. This event is an affinity space for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, BIPOC only. If you do not identify as BIPOC, we can keep you updated on future event opportunities. <laughs> yeah. And then they had to change it because... Um... Did they really? It, yeah, they, they said it was it was encouraged it encouraged people of color to attend, but because that's a violation of, of federal law, you can't. I mean, it, it's like the white woman who uh, created the uh, BIPOC uh, um, playground nights where you couldn't you're, you couldn't go to the playground at the park or at the school if you weren't BIPOC. So, I mean, well, really quickly, I want to say that, well, as always, thank you for having me on. It's cathartic and it's so fun. And I just, I want to say how impressed I am with you and how this podcast is blowing up. I mean, seriously, every episode is better than the next. And um, people, we want tips. We want we want to hear from you. If you have information that are along these lines, if you have a friend who's an insider in city hall, um, we will always maintain confidences. We will always keep your identity a secret. We will never, uh, we will never, uh, throw you under the bus or out you. Um, we just want you as a source, please. And please start writing op-eds to the Oregonian about their, um, biased reporting about the homeless crisis and their complete, lack of, of interest or willingness to tell the whole story. And um, lastly, please go to portlandparty.org and sign up on our list. 
and donate to our pack and find out how you can help come fall. We're going to be doing a lot of boots on the ground work for Renee Gonzalez, for Sharon Mirren, uh, opposing ballots that are not good for Portlanders. And we need your help. We need your help. Y'all heard her Portland party needs your help. Go to portlandparty.org. If you want to turn this state around. Jennifer, thanks for coming on as always. Let's do some housekeeping before we wrap up. I have a correction. In the last episode, I said to our guest, Vicki, who is from upstate New York, that New York is a purple state. Surprisingly, Vicki didn't correct me, but a lot of New Yorkers and former New Yorkers did reach out to me and y'all told me that it is not, in fact, a purple state. And you were right. I was totally wrong. Of course, the governor, Senate, House, or as they call it, the assembly, are all Democratic. George Pataki was the last Republican governor in 2006. The last Republican mayor in New York City was Bloomberg until 2007 when he announced he was unaffiliated. And then, of course, in 2018, the Democrats took control of the New York State Senate for the first time in decades. And sort of falling into line, Bloomberg announced that he was changing his affiliation, would henceforth be a registered Democrat. The New York State Assembly, which, again, is the equivalent of our Oregon State House since at least... 92 has been democratic. So apologies to all you New Yorkers and former New Yorkers. And thanks for listening. I think when that slipped out of my mouth, and this is not at all an excuse, what I said was totally moronic, but just so you understand my thinking, I th- I'm just impressed that for such a blue city, and New York seems to be a city state, much like Oregon, where the biggest city in the state kind of controls everything due to population density, that for such a blue city, New York City has had Republican mayors in recent memory. So anyway, stupid statement on my part. I apologize unreservedly to all you New Yorkers and former New Yorkers who rightly set me straight. See you next time.